What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Sunday evening edition of Musay and Thomas. Philip Musay is down there in Atlanta, Georgia. Philip, good evening, sir. How are you? Down there. <laughs> Directionally speaking, is that is that south? That it, it is south. Yes, down there meaning south. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not not like hell down there. No, I mean not yet. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it I, is pretty hot. It's I was hot. Gonna... <laughs> well, it's, not... it is the month. Of it, August is the is is hell month. I don't know if if that's like if anyone actually uses that as a phrase for how is to describe Georgia weather, but it to me it's hell month. Hell month. Are you a fall, yeah. winter, spring, summer? I'm like yeah. I'm like a Swedish summer guy, like like an endless daylight. Like if I could live in a place where there was just endless daylight, but also like it was like fairly tempered outside that's sweden in the summertime i'm that's that's my that's my dream i think it's on the horizon for me i can actually i can i can i can taste it almost yeah fuck that um <laughs> i'm very pro darkness and like when the sun goes down at like six o'clock i'm very in like it makes me happy that like sad i, I love love nighttime i love the winter i love my winter clothing i love the fall when it gets crisp and mm bringing out the big guns yeah no when it gets really depressing yeah yeah, that's my deal just a bit bit like subhuman for me you know like um it's a bit subhuman or maybe maybe alt human you know it's Mm. very much like i think what you described is like ideal conditions for owls and of course you know my well you know i feel about hatred towards owls yeah well you see it it makes sense an owl statue in my room and i'm looking at my owl pen so be careful with where you're going with this sentence, but continue. I hate owls with a passion. Is that where you didn't want me to go? I don't. You should know. visit Sweden in the summertime. Is basically what I'm. I'm making a plug here for for Midsummer, not the movie, because that that movie was hella demented, but also very good. Um, Sweden is great as long as you don't go to like cult <laughs> villages in the summertime. Okay. I've heard France is beautiful in the summer. I could see that. Like the mountains getting up there. Cause I'm, I bet you it's cold and kind of treacherous, but I'm reading a book actually on um, someone's 25 years 
in France. He moved with his wife from London and um, it's, it's selling me on it. It's selling you on France in the summertime? Which which yeah. parts of France? Because there's like... Well, it's province. Ah. Aix-en-Provence? Mm-hmm. Aix. Aix. Yes. Aix-en-Provence? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. But it's by Peter Mayle, and I would highly encourage it. It's um, it's a very good book. But um, yeah, I don't know. It seems beautiful in the countryside. Yeah. If you look at the pictures of what it looks like in the summer versus yeah. other months, it seems rather spectacular. Well... Um, you know, what other great image of France in the summertime that I have that's movie related is, um, Inglorious Bastards. Mm. <clears throat> That'll ruin France in the summertime for you. Remind me to tell you off air a story about <laughs> how I first watched Inglorious Bastards, because <laughs> that is a conversation that we will not have while the, uh, recording button is very much in play. But, um, yeah, okay. that movie I have not seen since that time because of something that we'll talk about after oh, wow. we're done recording. But it's, uh, a, it's a brilliant movie. Christoph Waltz terrifies me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that offline as, <laughs> as they say in, in the consulting speak. That is exactly what they say. I mean, you're Mr. <laughs> consultant, Philip, you say, no, you say the consultant. no, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't weigh me down with that moniker. I'm. You're in my phone as the consultant. <clears throat> it's going to be your, the consultant. your memoir. Yeah, that's that sounds like a that sounds like the the sequel to that Ben Affleck movie, The Accountant. The Accountant. Yeah, not a good movie. <laughs> I never saw it. So that movie, <laughs> I, um, I love a good trailer versus like a terrible movie. I'm always amazed at how um like how you can put together something so perfect in two and a half minutes, and then the actual product just being boring and awful like movie's just, just boring and it's just not good but like the trailer you think you're about to watch one of the best ben affleck movies of all yeah. time and it's okay it's, it doesn't match up uh that's a that's an interesting like uh measuring stick like have you ever seen a terrible trailer that turned out to be a great movie i'm sure i have i'm trying to think of something that really i was just like not i'm not sure if it was terrible just more of like yeah this doesn't seem like there's a lot there but i think a lot of movies like the movie that we're gonna be talking about like wildlife you can't really get a sense of what kind of movie this is gonna be from a trailer yeah yeah i uh so i imagine this trailer was boring where you're like uh this seems like a boring indie like this seems like it's just gonna be a lot of a lot of staring off into space would be my my guess because this movie is predominantly a silent film and what i mean by that Hmm. is like this movie does its best work with their facial expressions with silence with just uncomfortableness of everybody's situation and character trauma um my man jake did not have a bunch of lines in this movie he disappears for a while (laughs) he he disappears for like an hour yeah (laughs) the only reason i chose this movie was because i knew how much of a of a jg fan you were and i was like oh let's just let's just keep going on the and you pick the, uh, one the, the, the memory lane yeah the jake let's go for a stroll down memory lane with jake but he's he's like maybe 30 percent of this movie which is okay because guess what uh carrie mulligan is <clears throat> sensational 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 well let's, Terri- just get, into this. let's get into it we're, we're ready let's get into this movie so this movie um it was a sundance hit um, a lot of people were talking about this um, along with the mid-90s and A Star is Born. But this is Paul Dano's 
uh, first uh, film. He, if you remember, is the creepy son, or I guess whatever you would call him in Prisoners. Mm-hmm. And yep. he has transitioned. And he brought Jake back in. He knew he had a star in Jake. And Jake knew he had a star in, in Paul. So that was that was nice. But um, yeah, it's directed by uh, Paul Dano. And written, I believe, with his wife. I think uh, they his wrote partner. it together. Yeah. Um, Zoe Kazan. Yes, Zoe Kazan. <clears throat> and it's based on a 1990s uh, novel from Richard Ford. But this movie... Um, where do we start? Like it is a somber tale that if you just looked at the first 15 minutes versus the next hour and a half, <laughs> you are in for night a and very day. different movie. Yes. Night and day, night and day. Um, yeah, it starts out very much coming of age drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, Ed, Ed Oxenbold. I don't know if this is his uh, feature debut but he was described um, in a lot of uh, in a lot of film reviews as as <laughs> as an excellent find, which is like a really weird way of talking about an actor. <laughs> um, uh, he was great in this. He played the son. Um, I actually thought his performance, uh, you know, rivaled Carey Mulligan's. And okay. I, I don't know how old he is. He he must be in his. He must be like seventeen or eighteen years old. He's gonna be um, a star. Yeah, I, I don't know what he's up to these days, but the delicacy that he or the delicateness that he, you know, with which he portrayed this this only child in a family that is slowly coming apart at the seams um, is is astounding. Um, but, yeah, so it starts out uh, very much in, in the style of <clears> – <throat> I guess you could say like any link Richard Linklater, you know, coming of age drama, uh, but, but slowly becomes this, um, this complete like survival story where, you know, um, the mom and the son are, uh, trying to figure out how to keep their family together or if, if it's even worth it to begin with. So, um, there's a lot to unpack. Um, can we start with the first main theme that I have about this? Sure. That I want to get your perspective on because there are a lot of themes and obviously we're going to be talking about trauma, uh, when discussing this movie and dissecting it. But, um, there is one thing in particular that really stood out to me about this movie and it is, and it's based on a conversation that Miller has early on at the dinner, um, with the son and the mom, um, Casey Mulligan and Jean and Joe. There's Jerry, Jean, Joe. And Jerry. yeah, it's kind of crazy. But anyway, the Triple J's. And Jean and Joe are at this dinner. And it's clear that at this point, Jean is still trying to figure stuff out. Like she doesn't 100% know what she's doing. She just knows that she needs stability. She knows that uh, things are about to get really bad because her stream of income is very limited and. Her husband is not coming back and who knows if he'll ever come back. If he just dies in uh, the fires and uh, the forests of Montana. And he is talking about wealth and he's talking about it, just how he got to where he was. And he speaks about poor people in a way that really upsets her. And she yes. is just repulsed by like the way he sees the world and him taking advantage of people that he thought were less than him. And that's how he yeah. made his fortune. He has all these different businesses and things like that. And Joe 
has already seen his father struggle. He's seen, he's walked in on his dad um, asleep when he's supposed to be out applying for jobs um, in his car. And there is this very bleak image of the 1960s where women who, if their husband just abandoned, like they, she has nowhere else to go. So it, she's not a right. villain. She does a lot of things that you might not agree with, but it's about survival and just what, she had to do and the kind of changes she had to make on the fly because her husband just left and she also has this son who's working and trying to figure things out himself um i thought poverty was a very big thing in this movie of that they have to make decisions uncomfortable decisions that they don't necessarily want to do anyway Mm -hmm. but they do out of survival miller does not have to do any of those things and he is comfortable and he can make um just less than ideal morality choices she can't she has to think about uh, a multitude of things and if you're impoverished and if you are pressed against the wall it it's a tough tough situation it's a slippery slope and you empathize with everyone involved here those three jerry being personable and getting laid off for going the extra mile and not handling the ups and downs of life very well and gene not handling um the just what situation she was thrown into because she was trying to make it work and obviously did not work. And then you have Joe who just sees all this. Like he doesn't say much, but he just watches. He's a front row seat to the complete dissipation of his family. Right. And he doesn't know what to do. And his mom is just exposing him to all of this. Like that is something I wrote down of just him just staring as his mom is just tearing everything apart in front of him. And he's just supposed to sit there. Yeah, he's. Um, I wasn't quite sure. Well, actually, rather, I was. I was quite surprised by um, how quickly Gene entered this uh, th- this inflection point. Where clearly, you know, when when Jerry decides to, he loses his job at the golf course, and he decides to. Um, you know, when he has an opportunity to get that job back, he uh, his pride is hurt, and he doesn't. He chooses not to engage with with the folks at the golf club anymore. And he wants. You can tell that he's searching. He's lost his his purpose, and he wants to figure out. You know what makes him the man that he is, and you know he takes the this extremely dangerous job of fighting fires um, that pays like a dollar an hour, and. Jeannie and Jerry have this explosive argument and that's, that's where I was like, okay, yes, the Jake Gyllenhaal is, he has arrived folks. Um, because most, most of the, the, um, in the preceding minutes, I mean, Jake's character is, is fairly, um, is, is, is fairly reserved. Uh, he, he has obviously this quiet intensity and you can tell that there's a lot on his mind and, He's not quite sure how he's going to provide for his family. Um, he's kind of blasé and um, when his interactions with his son, when, for instance, his son comes up and knocks on his car window, sees him sleeping, he's like, oh, you know, thanks for the, thanks for letting me know that this sh- that I could have had my job back, but go go to school. And right. he rolls the window up and kind of dismisses him. Um, the, the argument that Jerry and Jeannie have um, where – you can tell that she is extremely distressed that he is not pulling his weight and he is not only that, but he's actively made the choice to do something that is going to make the family less money. 
out of some, you know, uh, hurt, you know, part of his ego. Well, he's also just running. Like, he is a runner, and she is not about that. So you're seeing the dichotomy between um, somebody who is just like, you know what? I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this, where she's adamant about finding a job at um, wherever she walked into, at whatever store that was, where she just, the hiring uh, ad in the paper was just old. And she kept talking and talking, and then she got a YMCA job. That she is willing to swallow her pride to keep her family together, and he is not willing to do that, and he is not willing to face things head on and swallow his pride in a way that she was early on. Well, the only reason she got that job is not only because of her persistence, right? Like she kept asking, she came back and, and, and said, well, do you have anything for a man? And yeah. that line in and of itself, and you can see that the secretary kind of like takes a deep breath and, and realizes that the reason that she, that this is happening she's is at, because the dad's it, out of work. Yes, exactly. So there's like a solidarity there. So she feels like, okay, of course, like, let's, let's see if, if we can make something work. I was, I was surprised by how, how quickly, um, Jeannie's character kind of enters into this slow decline after Jerry goes away. Um, she starts to, you know, uh, dress differently. She wears this silk shirt and has, you know, this talk with her, with, with, uh, with Joe about, you know, when, when her parents or sorry, when, um, when both of them met and, you know, talking about how they were different people earlier in their lives. Um, and that's kind of the, and she's, you know, she's been drinking and smoking in the house and like Joe has to go out and and make dinner. I was, I was taken aback by, um, how quickly she made the decision to kind of let go of the reins of, of life. It seemed like it, it had only been, I don't know, like maybe like a few days or a, a, Do we know a week or so. Passed? It didn't seem like a lot of time mm. to me. It didn't seem like a lot of time. Yeah. I, I, they weren't it, the only, they weren't explicit time, about it. Yeah. The only measure of time you have is the passage of the seasons. And right. Um, when the movie starts, you can tell that it's, it's there. Everyone's anticipating the first snowfall, which is when the, the fires will, uh, will be able to be better contained. Um, so I would, I would imagine that only, a, a like, maybe eight to 10 or 12 weeks pass in mm-hmm. this entire, um, in this entire movie. But she makes the decision to, uh, adjust remarkably fast, which I don't know, maybe it's just a, a, a byproduct of having lived with a person who, you know, to be a runner and you know, to, you know, have all these harebrained ideas. Oh, let's move to, Montana, we don't right, quite know hap- why they This was not Montana. a first time thing of him losing his job and right. spiraling out of control. Like that is clearly something mm-hmm. that has happened before. Yes. Yes. And they came from Idaho and yeah. uh, this must have been to your liking that we have no idea who they are and where they came from. Oh, I wrote that down. I, it's it's one of my favorites. Is you know yeah. what? Guess who doesn't need to know what happened in Idaho? This <laughs> guy right Thomas. here. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, don't give me give me no backstory whatsoever. No, we don't and need a backstory. We need home. to know what's happening right now. We need to know about why um, she is so um, flippant with her son about her age, like little things like that, where it's just like, 
when she says I'm 34, but I'm not going to be 34 for very long. So don't get used to it. Like there is yeah. cold and just she, like you said, she transforms very quickly, but Jerry is the same. Like he is the same person. It's almost like he has to get, he has to like go on these benders to like get back to normal. Like when something bad <laughs> happens to him and he feels like he's been wronged, he needs to go on a bender and then he gets it out of his system and then yeah. he's ready to go. Like he was ready to start over as a family. Like when he walks back in the door after being away for some time, he expected it just like time to have been just to have um stayed still and that he could just waltz back in there and things be fine and they handled everything without him and <laughs> it's just everything's great it's like no well babe i got an apartment in the city yeah you know the ones by the uh by the by the river yes i know I got exactly <laughs> <done>. yeah <laughs> but that's the not ang- uh not how life works unfortunately yeah i think um I think the most tragic character in in the story, because it is a tragic story. I mean, I think the most tragic character um, is is Joe. Um, even though oh, overtly sure. Jerry's Jerry's meandering and his his um, just inability to have a plan, um, those are frustrating character traits. Uh, but we know that. I mean, Jerry is, is a fully formed man. He's, he's, uh, he, he, he is who he is and he's not going to change. Whereas Joe as a 14 year old boy who has just moved into, moved into town and has, has no friends and, uh, is trying that, that scene where he's sitting on the bench, uh, and all the other guys are, um, like you're playing football and, and the, the ball comes over to him and they ask him to throw it back and he sits down, he sits back down on the bench. I mean, that is a truly, well, dismal as a image football superstar i couldn't relate so wouldn't know wouldn't, wouldn't know. <laughs> he seemed like a nerd to me Philip. he seemed like a nerd well i don't know he's just he, he 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 was doing it to make friends and and his dad says after he tells his dad that i don't think football is for me he asks him like are you making friends uh he says no they already know each other and then jerry says well just ask them personal questions and we come to find out that jerry is a very personable guy and that's the reason that he does so well at the golf club um but joe is 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 just kind of coming into his own and he yeah. has no um moral anchors or uh or, or even a, a decent halfway decent role model to look to to uh, you know, understand what it means to be a man or understand what it means to take care of uh, your family short of his mom, basically telling him that, you know, your dreams aren't good enough. You have to yeah. be more like, like, uh, like Mr. Miller. Right. Um, it's sad because we're just watching him and he Everything's plays sad. This whole movie is just sad. He, yeah. It's, it's nothing, nothing, nothing is happy about this film. The acting Ed's, Ed Oxenberg's uh, Bold's acting is is incredibly nuanced because they use these very very long takes where they study the reactions of of these characters while other characters are talking, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if Joe had the most screen time. I mean, the way that he um, he definitely does embodies his pain in a nonverbal way is, is very, very impressive. 
the scene where he's running after his father at the police station after just dis- leaving his father like he is going through so many like the emotional roller coaster that joe is sent on throughout this film is um just unreal like it's just not fair like that's something i wrote down too mm-hmm. is just like what's happening to him is not fair and no. his mom knows it's not fair but she's also trying to teach him what's real and her his father is a dreamer his father is a very um like his father is always nicer to him like he is clearly that's why joe is drawn to his dad and why he ends up with his dad at the end of the movie is that (laughs) his dad really does mean well his dad is warm his dad really wants things to be perfect but like he doesn't handle the reality of life well at all so when things are when he gets thrown a curveball he just folds yeah his mom sees it as you know what life is not fair i've never thought life was fair but I'm going to make the most of it and adapt or I'm going to die because I don't have a lot of options as a woman in the early 1960s. Yeah. Like I don't have a lot of choices here. And that's when that, that question, when she just asks him straight up, do you have a better option? And he has to say, no, yes. Like that is just an insane question to ask your son, whether or not he has a better option than you cheating on his father with a rich man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Stability. Like that is, Ooh. the lines I, like that in this movie were just they hit so hard i wonder how much of the actual film resembles the this the the novel um i was i was watching some interviews <clears throat> where paul dano was was uh discussing the writing process i think he and zoe went back and forth for like three years on this um she, uh, he wrote just kind of a, a stream of consciousness first draft and, and she kind of rewrote it and they, they optioned the the novel themselves. And, um, Ford said that, that he, they could, you know, my novel is my novel. Your picture is your picture. So whatever you need to do to, um, to do justice to the story, please do. Um, and, I think one, well, at least from what I could tell, one of the major differences was that the novel used a first-person narrator, and um, in the in the story, the the dialogue is is pretty sparse. They tell right. the story mainly through these these I mean beautiful takes of um, and very creative takes of um, of, of landscapes and. Um, and, and just kind of static shots where you're studying the character's reaction and they use, uh, li- there's so much low, low lighting shots in this that are done so incredibly well, um, that, it, that it evoke such feelings of, of despair and longing and, um, yeah, just emptiness that, you know, you, <laughs> you have to wonder, I mean, <laughs> is, is this, could this film perhaps be even better than, than the novel itself? Um, it's, it's, it, I thought it was very well done from a cinematic standpoint. It was, it was a great story to experience on the screen. I, um, it was a bold movie. It kind of reminded me of place beyond the pines where they pull Gosling after the first hour and a half, where mm-hmm. you assume the movie is going to be a, about Ryan Gosling and he's just gone. Spoiler alert, mm-hmm. folks. Uh, he's gone in the second half of that movie. <laughs> and that's a bold move to take away, to spend an, a, an, a significant amount of time 
on this one main character and his trauma and his issues and then just be like all right we're going to transition now and i uh, hope you're still with us because that's what they're doing here because when you're first watching this if you haven't read the book like the movie starts off with just like this idea of the kind of like you said where the father and son trying to make the most of a bad situation like joe is seeing his father having to work really hard he's having to help his dad um make ends meet he's having to help his dad as he's ending up a shift he's having to see how other people will talk to his dad um and yeah. belittle his dad um we see jerry like on his knees like cleaning the shoes of the other golf patrons and he gets fired mm-hmm. for it he gets fired for going above and beyond like he feels slighted by the world and he feels that his personability should be enough and um joe is getting all these mixed messages from his dad and then to his mom because like we don't really see those kind of interactions with his mom it's very face value early on when jerry's there and when jerry's gone his mom just shows him this completely different side of him uh, of her that he's never seen and he's clearly just i mean just everything that's happening around him he doesn't know how to think about any of this stuff he doesn't know what to do and you can tell that he just he's internalizing so much and then to end this with him asking his mom and his dad to take one final family photo together just for him yeah the and trauma you can tell how isn't gone like this is not were. a movie where it's just like all right he yes he's on honor roll and everything else but like these are things he's going to have to deal with and work through for the rest of his life like his parents, I think, both know this because, I mean, it worked out. They split, but ultimately, the trauma is still there and the experiences are still there. And he still had to, like, his mom just leaving him in the car when she said that she had to go back in and give this coat back. Yeah, that was that was a brutal. That scene kind of reminded me of, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the movie right now. But basically, like, the scenario was kind of like a person who has an addiction right um it was she was i i could only assume made up this lie of oh my heart's beating really fast like it probably was I, I believe and, that but yeah not, but i for it wasn't reason. because of the drinking <laughs> yeah <laughs> for a different reason exactly but, yeah. exactly and then you know as soon as you get out of the car you know why she's going back into the house it's yeah, yeah it's um, but he doesn't know it. That's the sad part. All these things is he's so naive and he's just caught off guard for a solid hour straight where he just, he doesn't believe what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> nothing in this movie is, is happy, but a lot in this movie is profound. Yes. Um, can you be I profound think... and happy? People say yes. I say no. Uh, <laughs> can a situation be profound and happy? I think so. Okay. Can a situation be profound and also profoundly unhappy? Yes, I I I think so. Um, one of my one of my favorite shots was when um, G- uh, Jeannie brought her uh, Joe out to um, where they were fighting the fires, like I guess essentially the front line, and um, yes. she tells him to get out of the car and you know to see how you like it um, or see like just like experience what your father experiences and he gets out and um you know she calls to him from she it's a two shot so he's in the foreground and she's in the background and for a split second i thought maybe she was gonna leave him 
um, which is which is kind of you know a thing unto itself. But she calls out like, "What do you think?" or something, um, and he says, or or I don't know, I don't remember exactly what she said. But she says something to the effect of like, "I don't like it here," and um, and he gets back in the car, and then they slowly pan up, and you see this raging forest fire, and they do like a I don't know, it must have been like a ten or fifteen second pan upwards into this into the into the this blazing forest fire and it's shocking it's terrifying and i think it's completely you can you can look in joe's eyes while he's watching the fire and you, you the only thing you can really think of is is man like he probably must feel like his own life is is burning to the ground um and it's and it's it's beyond his control um and that as a 14 year old has to be I mean, that has to make you grow up in, incredibly fast. Everything about this movie is about and un, like we talk about the unfair situation with his parents because everything is unfair. Maybe that's a better way of explaining this is that when it when you're poor and when you don't have many options to begin with, um, everything is unfair. And a lot of these problems could have been solved if Jerry had a normal job. Like a lot of the problems with his family, with the son, with everything else could have been solved by him just having a little bit more money, a little bit more um, opportunity to spend time with his family. Because like clearly Jerry, the weird thing about it is that he clearly loves his family. He clearly loves having a family. He clearly loves his son more than anything in the world. He just, he's almost, it's almost like an embarrassment of when you're just not doing well you don't want your son and your wife the two people you care about most in the world to see you struggle like this like there's something emasculating i think for him where he doesn't know how to handle that and ask for help and just to swallow his pride for the greater good because when his son is so excited joe is just so excited to tell him that the the country club wants him back and they made a mistake to see him just drop like that when he realizes dad has no intention and is not going to go back and it's just going to wallow in self-pity um, is is brutal. But a lot of these things, if you are in a stable upper middle class environment, you can just find something else or you don't have to deal with these kind of traumatic experiences as often. And I think this working class, early 1960s, middle of nowhere type thing is that Joe is a kid who gets left behind. He's a kid that when he's in school, like his, his teacher doesn't understand. Like when Joe is just like, I didn't have time to read the homework assignment. Like right. his teacher doesn't know what's going on, but that happens all across the country. Yep. Every yep. single day. We have yep. no idea what these kids are going home to. And exactly. Joe is one of those kids. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And, and that scene where, the girl um, that ostensibly is his only friend. I mean, she's the only person that we see him have a true, have true interactions with throughout the course of the movie. You know, she passes him a note and asks, you know, do you want to hang out after school? And he passes the note back and it says, can't just one word can't, you know, and I, I, that actually kind of struck me. And he wants to clearly. I, I didn't, I actually didn't know. I I thought, I thought like he was coming from a place of such like despair that maybe he doesn't even, he, he he doesn't even care. Like he's kind of entering into this. Did he go to work after that? I think, 
Maybe he did. Maybe he did. I thought he did. I thought he went to work and that was the reason. Like he's having to work for his family because that's what these other kids are not doing. And his dad didn't want him to do that either. But his mom was open to it because she was a real world person where she was like, we need money. A real world person. And her father, his father is just like, no, you're a boy. Like I want you to, like I'll take care of this. But without actually doing anything to take care of it. Yeah, he doesn't take care of it at all. Um, I, I... that the reason that that scene kind of uh i mean it 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 got me down a little bit because it made me realize um that uh, first of all like everyone watches a movie through the lens of their own personal experience and i really felt badly for that girl because you can tell that she's really excited to get to know him and that they're slowly mm-hmm. becoming friends like she lets him uh cheat off of her her test because right. she uh it's it's just a good friend like she doesn't she doesn't know what's going on at home but like she here overhears the conversation that she doesn't that he that joe wasn't able to to do the homework and i'm not advocating like friends let friends <laughs> cheat off of each other but it's just like that that perceptive nature of um of just being a good and attentive friend uh it's that's why it was really sad for me when he just writes back can't that I like not even I can't I'm sorry it's just can't and then we see a shot of his face and he's just he's he's stoic it's like he's no longer 14 but 24 um right and the world is Having to just be an adult this, and he's like no I gotta go to work mm-hmm. it's just the it's just this massive boulder that he he's he's having to start to you know push up a hill and I think that is that that reaction and that one word can't and then his face i mean that captures the the dissolution of 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 youth that i think happens when when folks enter the enter the quote unquote the the real world mm-hmm. um so if anything that was like to me that was the most universal shot of of the whole movie because it explained visually what many people um go through hopefully at a later stage in life right like right like i turned 26 this year and i have to start i have to like get my own health insurance so like oh, on my birthday you know what i mean like i know right but it's but normally in what is supposed to be like it a, gets better, a, ha- a happy birthday it gets, it gets better, better. Yeah. getting you to pay for my better. health insurance yeah, <laughs> yeah. the world gets better yeah yeah you can join aarp oh that's great Hell it gets yeah. better yeah. <laughs> um what what's supposed to be like a like a a happy um a happy day like a coming of age not to speak about like uniquely from my perspective just using it as kind of like a a a, a, a measuring stick um like my 26th birthday will be of course a a, a day to celebrate like another year of life but it'll also be a, 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 an awakening of sorts that okay now i actually have to start planning for my future you know whatever comes along with that and that's not something that a 14 year old should experience at all um so that's that's why that scene really really hit me yeah everything about this is you i think you're supposed to feel bad for joe but i think you're also supposed to feel bad for janine like you are Mm. they this is not a strictly villainous 
story arc for her where yeah. her husband leaves her and she cheats on him and she's just an evil jaded woman like that's not what they're trying to tell here that's not the story that's being told it's that she is having to make life-altering decisions on the fly because there are life-altering things happening every day whether she wants to admit them or not or wants to deal with them whether it's fair or not like i do wonder when people watch this especially women like when you watch it like how would you respond to this like if the tables were turned or if it was a um this was a story that happened now where um just a man was left to raise his son by himself because his wife left and just disappeared and just did the same kind of stuff that jerry did like how would you respond would you look for um what you already had and contentment like would you look for consistency would you look for someone who was stable would you wait on this person like because you love them and their children's parent like i these are all very difficult things. And I think there is a levity to this movie that um, is very important because they show both sides where she does things that she is clearly not happy about doing. Like that's right. the other thing is like when she cheats, she doesn't want to do this. When she is lying to her son, she doesn't want to do this. When she is being just kind of cold towards her son, she doesn't want to be that. But that is the deck that has been dealt to her. Yeah. And people respond differently to trauma and horrible experiences in different ways. This is how she in particular did it. But her intentions, it's hard to get that upset about him. Her intentions were, I'm trying to protect my kid and myself from living on the streets in a month. You don't think you don't think uh, you don't think Bill Camp's character was just a sleazy guy, a sleazy home record. I think he's like the only sleazy guy in this movie. <laughs> I think he, but he does a really good sleaze. He does he is, a really good yeah, sleaze because um, there is another woman at the end, right? Like it's just some random. Yeah. it's not his wife. I no, don't it's think. Not. So yeah, he clearly does with, with a lot of um, emotionally vulnerable women. I'm guessing. Yeah, he's a sleaze ball, hundred percent. But. At least he doesn't call the cops or he doesn't press charges against Jerry. Yeah, he also calls Jerry a drunk, which is like, I felt like not true. <laughs> I didn't really. See, I think like, about I don't... that too. I, I think it's implied that he is though, because if you watch the beginning, if you go back and watch the beginning, there are two bottles next to the one that he's finishing um, when he's sitting there watching oh, TV. Perceptive. So oh, I think it's perceptive. actually implied that he is. Oh, maybe he was drunk in the car. Right. When 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 Joe came up to him, maybe that's why he was maybe he was sleeping. Maybe he was trying to get himself. No, he was 100 percent sleeping it off. 100 percent. Wow. OK. Yeah. No, I think it was implied um, that he was absolutely a drunk for sure. And like when he falters, he wallows in self-pity and just gets drunk and smokes a lot of cigs. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> you know what, man? It worked for Ben Affleck. It worked for Jerry in this movie. Look, who's to say cigs and beer cigs, the cigs peanut and butter beer. and jelly of adult life can't solve emotional adult trauma who's to say i'm i'm you know substitute the the beers for white claws and the cigarettes for i don't know maybe a, a, some carrots and i think you found my vice are you a white claw person <laughs> i don't want to be so much as i am 
I I guess so. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna say, just don't worry, don't run from this. Don't don't be a Jerry. I have one on my desk from last night. Actually, I've got to I've got to empty that out. Mm. What don't flavor? be a Jerry. That's you know that that's the only thing I'm gonna think about from <laughs> now until the rest of my life. Every time I drink a White Claw. Don't be a Jerry. Uh, don't be a Jerry. Don't just what don't. Jerry did. What would Jerry do? WWJD. That's that's a good question to ask. I myself. think there is one positive though from this movie. <laughs> What's that? That it's okay to admit failure, and that failure can actually bring about happiness. And that mm. if you don't, because if they had stayed together, if he had never have run, if Jerry had never run from that situation and gone to the mountains to fight fires, she the what unfolded obviously not great for Joe. However, Joe is now on honor roll. Joe, like his dad's now a great salesman and his mom is now a teacher in Oregon and she's happy. Like everyone ultimately got where they needed to go, where clearly that family dynamic was never going to work anyway. And there needed to be some sort of cataclysmic event that set in motion them all splitting apart because it was, they were walking on eggshells to start off with anyway. And they finally step in those eggshells and they departed and they're all better off for it. And I think that happens a lot in life where like if you're at a job, you hate and you know you hate it, but you also know that it pays well or it helps out in other ways. And you're like, I'll just keep going. It'll be fine. And you just keep Mm -hmm. pushing it to the side that you're like, no, it's fine. That's what's happening here is Jerry's saying, it's fine. I can do this. It's fine. And his wife is saying, it's fine. I can do this. Janine is doing the exact same thing keeping a face for their kid and just trying to make it work because that's what you did in 1960 is you made it work. This is the thing that you did. You raised a family and then you died. Um, (laughs) I, that's the happiest part of this movie. Yeah. Is I think that they, and then you die. No, I'm saying that's what they could have done. (laughs) That is the, what was told to them. That's what they're supposed to do, but they didn't, they broke up and they're better off for it. All of their lives improved by admitting failure with this marriage and family. That family was mm. never going to work. And they're all better off for it. They just did it in a very unhealthy way. But they got the end yeah. thing is what was important. And they got to the point where, um, you know, it's they're all better off. I think that's the that's that's the one positive is that I think they're better off. I think, yeah, I think it's clear that they're better off. I think that's, um, yeah, it, and it becomes clear, yeah, when they have, and during that, one of the final scenes when they're sitting together and having dinner, um, you can tell that it's, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit uncomfortable. Maybe they haven't seen each other in a while, the, you know, Jerry and Joe and Janine. Um, the, the final shot, though, where, you know, they, uh, Joe takes the, Joe takes the family portrait. None of them are smiling. And I don't know if that's because people didn't smile for Well, Jake doesn't portraits. smile for photos, just as a heads up. Jake doesn't smile. Even like Jake the actor or if Jake If you could the find character. a smiling Jake Gyllenhaal photo from anything, go. let me know because I don't know if one exists. <laughs> All right. Well, let's call it Jerry. Jerry, yeah. Jerry doesn't smile. And Joe definitely looks like his, his cat just died. <laughs> that's um, how he looks the entire movie though, by the way. He does. He just always looks so despondent. And I feel for this kid. I'm like, man, like, and he doesn't have any siblings. He doesn't really have any friends. 
you just you just want more for him. You want more for him more than anyone in the movie. Uh, and you just want to punch Miller in the face. Like he gives him right. Just like that, just like creepily. The gall of that guy, wine. though. Just, He's like, "Hey, do you want yeah. some? You want some wine?" It's like, no. Like that's just that's just weird. You know, like that's that's you don't know this man. Like this is a strange man offering a child wine, and like I don't know. It's just it was just creepy to me. Like, do you want to come up with my airplane? Yeah, we can take your mom to. No, like that's just that's just creepy. I I thought that scene was going somewhere else, and I'm glad that it didn't. But. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it was just the guilt of him knowing that he's about to, like, he knows that he's about to hook up with his mom, and he's just like trying to like make friends with the mom's son because he knows it's like part of the part of the thing, and there's no good way to go about it. And his way, obviously, pretty terrible. Yeah, part of the song and dance. Yeah, part of the dog and pony show. Hey, I'm gonna desecrate your mom's marriage uh want but, some wine bud would you like some wine <laughs> you want you want a cigar kid smoke it clears it clears the cigars cigars eh. that the thing that he was smoking was like a i was i was on the i was an extra on a on a tv show once and they mm-hmm. gave me a cigar that looked exactly like that, like the other like the cigars that I smoke in real life, whenever I do, look like actual cigars, right? Like they look like you, they have like a little wrapper around them, and they're like rounded on the edge, and they're mm. they're not super long. That guy had like a like a super deluxe <laughs> cigar. It was like a foot long, right? And they gave me one to they. I was on this this set and like you ever, do you smoke cigars like yeah i smoke cigars and he gave me this thing and it was like like 10 inches long and i was like what <laughs> what is this and they're like yeah yeah just yeah. just like light this when we say action and like <laughs> like don't you know don't blow too much smoke and i they gave me and i had to light it with matches what because <laughs> it's like the 1950s oh a bar in the 1950s okay um uh but it was it was uh, those. That's just to say that those cigars are not. They're 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 out of commission, thankfully, because I don't know how anyone smoked that back then. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I just think if you're gonna smoke, just smoke a cigarette. Be an adult. Just be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> smoke a cigarette. Smoke an e-cig. Just no. just just jewel jewel out. Now this this. I'm not sponsoring Jules. I take that back 100%. Edit that out. I'm not editing it out, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Kids, Jules are go. bad for you. Jules are bad. I was going to say, if Mrs. Musay is listening to this podcast, not happy with the last 30 seconds of content that's just come out here. Yeah, and sorry to you if this podcast is sponsored by Jewel. You you should lose all your funding. Wait, that's is true. Jewel an actual company or is that just the – is that a brand? I think so. Oh, you know, so it's you the know, brand for Jules. e-cig. Oh, I thought Jewel was actually just what it's called. So Jewel's yeah, an actual Jewel's brand. A, yeah, Jewel Ponds. I think Never they were that. shut down. Never got into any of that. The, the only time Good. that it looked cool was Rachel McAdams in True Detective Season 2. <laughs> was that the one with Mahershala Ali? Uh, no, that was Season 3. That's Season 3. No. Season two was Vince Vaughn, Colin Farrell, Rachel McAdams, and that might have been the big three. But um 
no, she smokes uh, e-cigs in that when she quits cigarettes. And it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's Richard McAdams smoking an e-cig. I'm like, okay, not bad. The only time it's ever well, been cool looking to me. Don't do it, kids. That that's is what your, I'm trying to your, say. That's your, uncle, yeah. that's your uncle. This is Chase a really long way of me saying don't. <laughs> don't smoke E6. Even if Rachel McAdams looks really, really fucking cool doing it in uh, yeah. True Detective Season 2. Just overlook that. Yeah. And overlook, overlook True Detective it. Season 1, where Matthew McConaughey is drinking beer and smoking cigs and talking about time being a flat circle. That looks really cool too. Don't do that. Don't don't do that either. <laughs> don't there are a lot of things that that one shouldn't do like you know walk out on your family to go fight fires to find yourself when you have clearly to find himself either i think he just like that character need a break it's not even needing a break because he's gotten breaks like that's the whole thing is that he's done this before he's run before and he just doesn't handle he's extremely immature and he doesn't understand the gravity of his actions on those he loves most. He thinks he's saving the people that he loves most by disappearing for a little bit. So he can get his act <laughs> together. He thinks he's helping Joe and Jean by leaving. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. That's why he's so happy when he comes back. He's like, they're going to miss me. But like, he knows when he's there and failing and not working that they just see him as a failure because he is. That's why he's so upset about them both working and, him just being like, all right, that's what you want to do. Like he can't see that. He can't see that kind of failure. And like him being the only one in the house, not working. He can't handle it. I think he needs a spinoff. Jerry needs a spinoff. Yeah. I think they should create like a, like a paraquel, like what was happening when Jerry was in the woods. What really happened well, when Jerry was in the woods? Too. I was kind of surprised. We never saw anything of him in the woods. Ever. Yeah. But I like what it. was what's the backstory there? <laughs> There's no backstory. It's just like that's not backstory. That's in the moment. That is happening in real time, sir. He things right. are happening in real time where he is just in the woods. So no, that He's does not Jerry, qualify Jerry as backstory. Woods. I think I think it qualifies as 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 it's a side arc, maybe. Like it's just as much of a plot hole what Jerry did in the woods as where they came from and who are they i don't think it's a plot hole that might be a stretch a plot hole a plot hole what is the plot hole sorry paul dano and zoe yeah what is the plot hole here plot hole. i'm just i'm just trying to trying to get you going clearly it's working yeah <laughs> is this another indictment of the american dream um it could have been we could have started out that way but and when i said i think i certainly think we could have we could have pulled on some strings there, but uh, but alas, I think that's a conversation for a different time. <laughs> I I think it could have easily had fallen into that trap, and I think they avoided that. I think this was ultimately about poverty mm-hmm. and gender roles, mm-hmm. where he can dip out and she doesn't have the same opportunities that he did to just leave and do whatever he wanted to do to find himself and leave her to figure stuff out and just her opportunities versus his where she has to find like she thinks in her head the only way that she's going to survive is by finding another man and he doesn't think like that and men at the time don't have to consider that but women at the time if their husband who's their sole provider leaves them what are they supposed to do 
I think that was a really poignant part of this movie for me. Uh, and I also, I mean, gender roles, uh, 100% with you that that was a major theme living live. I wouldn't call it living in poverty so much as living paycheck to paycheck and living, you know, in uncertainty, um, in a, in a lower middle-class family. I think they, they had enough to, um, to certainly get by. And I, obviously that was called into question when Jerry went to Narnia. Um, but ultimately, um, what I think, what I think this movie was about, um, as it relates at least to the American dream is, uh, what is, you know, what is the trade-off between pursuing what you love and, and providing for your family? And I think, um, I think Jerry was, was really trying to chase that, you know, I think like the breadcrumbs that he left, uh, or the breadcrumbs that we were given that, you know, they, they moved to Montana in search of opportunity, um, that's that kind of like American zeal coming through. And then when, uh, when Janine and, uh, Joe are at Miller's house and Joe says, you know, my, my goal is to like work for the railroad and his, his mom gets like irritated because that's, that's quote, like not good enough of a dream or like you can come up with something better. Um, it just shows that it's, I mean, it's hard. Nothing is promised. Um, nothing is a given and we just kind of have to, you know, do the best we can with, with what we're, with what we have, um, rather than, you know, walk out and, and not face our problems. Um, sad movie, but good because guess what? Sad, sad movie is the best. Good. And, um, we live in this dumpster fire. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. We live in the dumpster fire. I love a good sad movie. And Jake I'm is... I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. He's the captain sad. Yeah. I have a lot of phrases that you can put on t-shirts, Philip. You live in the dumpster fire. You should trademark that. I'd buy it. It's called 2020. Um, <laughs> Essentially, yes. Next movie. Next week. Or, no. Real quick. So, what do you give this movie? Is this better than Nightcrawler for you? It's different from Nightcrawler, <laughs> that's for sure. I don't think you can really compare these. On what grounds? Um, I mean, like when you're thinking Jake's about acting, just, I think they're both shining a light on just, this is a very broad stroke I'm about to paint here. Uh, okay. Paint it. Paint it, maestro. I mean, just the, the demise of America in general, where you're just Ooh. like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's just something about- <laughs> Demise it. of America. We're, we're going back to the 60s to trace the demise of America. Where we're are like, we now? <laughs> the American dream, we're like the family structure where you should just stay with somebody because you're supposed to stay with somebody. Like, when they look at each other at the end of this movie, Jerry and Gene, they were never going to work out, ever. Mm. But- divorce and just admitting failure was looked at so poorly during that time that right. I think a lot of marriages stayed together and they just did it for the kids. But the kids, guess what? They see it. The kids have always seen everything. The trauma is still there. The kids see the, the fights. They see the, the fact that mom and dad don't get along. They see the things, they see the problems with mom and dad and they see where things are going. Just because you stay together yeah. doesn't mean the kids no longer see what's going on. Um, and I think that was part of the American dream is just that you had this family structure and that the kids, 
being in that family structure was inherently good. But what we saw here is that's not not the case. So that's what I mean. The uh, problems with the family structure. And then Nightcrawler is more about uh, Americans' um, fascination with um, blood and guts and the fact that um, we're not really concerned with what ethically or the, the morality of why how we got something versus whether or not we enjoy it. Americans enjoy seeing the inside of a um, triple homicide house. They don't really care how you got in there. Um, <laughs> I think by and large. Uh, when you put it that way, yeah, America does seem like <laughs> it's it's been, at least from a filmic perspective, like... What would you do without me, Solo? I would probably be much more sanguine about the state of affairs in, in the world. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This is, I mean, movies, movies are a lens to understand like yourself and other people and, and the societies that we live in, which is why I love them. Um, okay, Roger Ebert, that's enough. <laughs> well, I'm being censored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. No. The, FCC, the FCC called, they want their, they want their, um, their, what do you, what's, what's that stick called that you beat people with? Like a, a nightstick, like a what switch. Like a, yeah, exactly. A nightstick. They want their nightstick back. The FCC <laughs> wants their nightstick back. <laughs> switch is what Adrian Peterson used on his children that did not, uh, that will suspended. <laughs> yeah. Um, Apple on nightstick. You just beat me with your FCC nightstick by censoring me. There you go. What a great way <laughs> to wrap up this the, podcast. That should be the uh the the quick take. Can that be the teaser, please? No, absolutely not. <laughs> or whatever we said about Jewel being bad for kids. <laughs> Sorry. Stay away from Jewel's kids. Yeah. <laughs> so last thing. We're doing before sunrise next week because it is yes. my turn. It is my yes. turn. Yes. Nineteen ninety five, that one. One of my favorite movies of all time. Let's do it. If I don't meet you like this, it's not going to work for us long term. Future women, if I don't meet you like I do in Before Sunrise, then it's not going to work. Just not. Do you think you're setting the bar a bit low? Uh, A bit high, rather. Okay. Okay. There's nothing better than just stumbling into somebody (laughs) and then just having seamless conversation for hours and hours and hours that's that's yeah that's like that's there's like nothing bar. better than doing that no that's bar that's that's of course that's my bar i'm trying to like i want to meet i want to meet a girl and immediately feel like you this can't live is, without her yeah yeah but but that's it's rare it happens it, it may never happen it may never happen, which is why we have to live vicariously through movies like Before Sunrise. <laughs> going to say, like, that's why we do drugs. Uh, <laughs> that too. No, I mean, no, no, of course not. Definitely not. Drugs are very bad for you. So are White Claws. Right. Jerry. What's your favorite White Claw? Um, I'm a big fan of the mango. Mango's good. I don't like that they don't put the mango in the variety pack. I could... I could live my, the rest of my life without ever having a grapefruit white claw. Grapefruit's not very good. It's not. Like, it doesn't they have should a taste, just really. replace them with mango and they would and raise even if they raise the price of the 24 pack or the 12 pack 
by three or four dollars just to put mango in there, like I would I would buy that. Mm. Are you listening? Whoever produces White Claw, they might be a presenting sponsor at some point for me saying Let's Thomas. get them. Let's get them. Forever's the forever summer drink. I mean, if I there's one thing White Claw is trying to tap into, one market, it's the um, the the film and TV criticism market. That is where they are lacking. I think you're on to something. You're always on to something, but this this time I think you're on to something that's better than the things that you were on to before. <laughs> It's like the nicest, <laughs> meanest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't know how to take that. I'm not sure what that means, but... Um, You're more on to something this time than the previous <laughs> times that you were on to something. Take it, take it or leave it. <laughs> That's like something a girl says to you when you've been on like seven dates and you're not 100% committed yet. Like it, the, the relationship hasn't been established. So you're you want to criticize or you want to give some real world advice but you're also like i don't want to wreck this because i still want to be with this person so you you throw a lot of caveats and you you say a lot of caveats you you throw a lot of word word vomit (laughs) out there and you just hope it sounds okay yeah some jedi mind tricks right some some verbal verbal jujitsu verbal jujitsu is the best way to frame it i think says the comparative comparative lit guru you know, I, you know what? Not to brag. I read books, Philip. That's great. I read books too. Did the books that you read have pictures in them? Because oh, mine don't. I'm trying to think the last book I read that had pictures in them. I got to think about this. What do you think yours is? What is the last book I read that had pictures? Like, or a picture even for like a chapter. I'm trying to think like, what was yeah. the last thing I read that even had like a, hmm. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Give me a second. I'm going to think about this for a second. Hold on. I honestly don't know either. Oh, I'm look. Uh, no, that doesn't have pictures in it. That's tough. I'm literally looking at everything. I don't see anything. I don't see anything either. Not even like a comic book or anything. Wow. You know what it would probably be? It would probably be the killing joke on my... Somewhere in my bookshelf it would be the batman graphic novel i'm sure the killing joke it's a very good graphic novel the killing joke yeah that sounds uh it sounds like a movie that we would it is dis- a movie it's actually on um hbo it's a movie the killing the killing joke yeah the killing joke it's batman joker yeah hey did you see the trailer for the batman yet uh i have not but robert pattinson i'm here for at all times so i'm gonna see it because Robert Pattinson's actually low-key great and hates being an actor, so I respect him in a multitude of ways. Like, he is an unhappy person that will always be unhappy. And um, <laughs> do you know how he got rid of a stalker? Uh, did he fake his death? No, 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 no. So the stalker, he finally agreed to go on a date with her, and the stalker was so out on him complaining about his life and doing movies that she was no longer interested in him. He got rid of a stalker by just being himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's Robert Pattinson's that a legend, brilliant. man. I love Robert Pattinson. Yeah, I'd have to say the lighthouse was deeply disturbing. <laughs> He's not bad at anything. No. Good I think I Good I think time good is time. incredible. Yeah, I've seen that movie multiple times, and each time it gets better and better. And then I'm really looking forward to the devil all the time. <clears throat> I guess it comes out. Good. 
He's just unhappy. He's a moody guy. I like He's it. He's a moody guy. <laughs> He's in his feelings. Those kind of guys are just like who I am. Like the Jake Gyllenhaals, the Robert Pattinsons, the... The, the Drakes. Oh, okay. Well, not going that far. No, no, no. Um, I don't think I've no. ever been compared to a Drake in my life, but sure. Maybe. Did you see that the new mu- the music video he came out with? Uh, of him running the football routes? Yeah, laugh now, cry later. He like cried. He straight up cried in that. I Did was like, really? these aren't... These are these are real tears. Mm. And then his 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 friend came in and was like, "Bro, are you? What are you doing?" And he's like, "You got a tissue?" And his friend was like, "Hell no, I ain't got a tissue." It's funny. It's funny. It's good. It's like <laughs> you should watch it. It's a I'll solid watch. Video. It. I think uh, you. I mean, it's they filmed it at Nike headquarters. You you should. I we probably talk about that on one of one of their one of your episodes this week. Interesting. Okay. Laugh now, cry later, which is the go. name of my podcast that I'm starting, kids, to convince people to not take drugs. Is that how how, how what? How does that connect? Yeah, I'm I'm just doing a a plug for myself. Yeah, but like, my how, why would they not do drugs later if they're crying later? No, no, laugh now, cry later. Right. Because you know you laugh now, like oh, it's all, it's all sunshine and roses. Yeah, as twenty twenty has been for everybody involved. Yep. Yeah, but then you Nothing you cry later. But I've yeah, it's a hilarious year <laughs> in the least hilarious way possible. Um, I'm not starting a podcast called Laugh Now Cry Later. Please don't. Okay. I don't want your commitment to waver. On other projects, we've already got. You've already got your consulting. You've already got um, keeping Indigo alive. You got a lot on your plate right now. I'm starting a <clears throat> an internship um, with Tesla on, on Monday. Are you so, really? Perhaps. Who knows? I, w- I don't know. All right, Philip Musay. We can follow you on Twitter at Philip Musay. I don't know what's real and what's not. He's being very, 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 very coy, very vague. Yeah. Maybe I'm in my feelings. Okay. Well, then that's a good way of signing off because I have no time for that. (laughs) Philip, before sunrise next week. Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. I'm excited. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.